0: Get ready to explore faith, doubt, and all that's in between. Welcome to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond.
1: Welcome back to Doubting It Podcast. I am really excited about our guest today. I'm excited about all of our guests, honestly. I think I say that every single time, but our guest for the show today is Lee Strobel. He's an author. He's most known for the book he wrote. It's called The Case for Christ. If you have not read this, um, you should absolutely read it. It's it's a great um, investigation into Christianity from the perspective of someone who was going after these questions about, of doubts that we have about Christianity as an atheist and wanting to prove Christianity wrong. But he's just done so many things. He also wrote The Case for Faith, The Case for a Creator, The Case for Grace, and his latest book is The Case for Miracles. And so he he really took his his training um, in the world of journalism and wrote this incredible book that has really impacted i just think so many people um just from word of mouth just people saying hey i have this book and has answers to the questions that you might be having um it's just great and it's going to be around forever so i just really appreciate him coming on the show so without further ado here's lee Strobel. well welcome to uh, lee strobel for coming on the doubting it podcast um it is such an honor actually really for me to have you on. I feel like you played a big role in my life and in a lot of people's lives mm. really growing up. I don't know anyone that didn't have like the case for Christ in their hand at some <laughs> point at my school and it's really was amazing. I know you've done so many other things um, since that.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. I I remember uh, meeting your mom and dad uh, when they (laughs) were um, serving there in Indiana and uh, how your mother, uh, I understand, used to give away copies of my book. So that was really encouraging.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. It's incredible and um was such a necessary thing and still is a necessary um investigation um into Christianity I think. Um but we'll get into that but first of sure. all I just wanted to let you Introduce yourself. Talking about your personal faith journey. Yeah, how did how did you come to know Christ?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Chicago and um, went to University of Missouri for my journalism degree, Yale Law School for a master's degree, and um, was legal editor of Chicago Tribune. Uh, I consider myself an atheist. I kind of had three steps into atheism that culminated uh, probably high school, first year of college, and. Um, was generally a skeptic. My wife was more agnostic. Uh, She just couldn't put the puzzle pieces together. She was open but confused spiritually. Mm -hmm. She met a woman who was a Christian and a nurse. They became best friends, and this woman uh, invited her to church. Uh, Leslie went to church with her. She asked a bunch of questions, and uh, she brought me the worst news I could ever get as an atheist. She told me she'd become a Christian. (laughs) And uh, the first word that went through my mind was divorce. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to walk out, but I stuck around. And um, even though I saw positive changes in her character and values and the way she related to me and the kids, um, uh, I still wanted the old Leslie back. I wanted her old life back. And so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training Mm -hmm. and systematically investigate is there any credibility to Christianity or any other religion? Uh, And I wanted to do that as a journalist would, trying to be objective, trying to see both sides, trying to be honest in my evaluation. But my my hope was that I could free her from this cult that she'd gotten involved in. Mm -hmm. And so I spent about a year and nine months doing that uh, largely, but not exclusively um, focused on the resurrection of Jesus becoming convinced that the historical data is, uh, persuasive and that, uh, it would take more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian.
0: Mm.
2: And, uh, so on November the 8th of 1981, that's when I kind of reached my verdict in the case for Christ that, uh, I, I believe Jesus not only claimed to be the son of God, but he backed up that claim by returning from the dead. And, uh, that's when I, uh, confessed my sin, received forgiveness through Christ. And, um, Um, Then my life over time took on a radical new direction. I ended up leaving journalism at a 60% pay cut uh, to work at a church and um, uh, later started writing books and uh, spent the rest of my life telling other people about the story of Jesus.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I know that the book and then it was made into a movie as well. Yeah. Um, you know, is so popular for people too. I think because of what you said there that, you know, you really went into it trying to prove it, prove Christianity wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did it feel when when was it when did you start like kind of thinking maybe you weren't going to prove that?
2: Well, it, it was a progressive thing. Mm. It, it it was a cumulative case. And so over this year and nine months, as I would gather more and more data, um, the scales would subtly, subtly begin to tip. Um, and there wasn't any one thing that mm. clinched it for me. I remember the last thing that uh, kind of was the puzzle piece was that Uh, I thought, you know, we have seven ancient sources, six of them outside the Bible, that tell us that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Their willingness to suffer and even to die, I think, is well established. Now, what happened to some of them in the end is a little bit lost in the haze of history. But their willingness, based on these seven sources, I think is well established. But I thought, well, wait a minute. So what? Lots of people have died for their faith over history. You know, Kamikaze pilots in World War II uh, died uh, crashing their planes into boats because they thought if they died that way, they'd uh, find eternal life. And and um, so I, I didn't find that convincing until I realized the difference, which is that of all human beings who have ever lived in history, the disciples were in a unique position. Uh, they were there. They said they touched the resurrected Jesus. They ate with them. They, um, they talked with them. So they were in a position of all people who've ever lived of knowing whether this was true or whether it was a lie. And knowing it was true, they were willing to die for it. That told me something about the veracity of their claims. And so mm-hmm. that was kind of the last puzzle piece. I wouldn't say it's the most persuasive, but it was kind of the last puzzle piece that went in for me uh, that convinced me that uh, that Christianity is true.
1: Wow. Yeah. And you know, you said too, you, you kind of shifted careers so much. What happened with people? I mean, when a, when you wrote this and became a Christian, but then also it was like so extremely popular, um, which I'm sure my, I mean, maybe it would have been overwhelming, maybe it wasn't. Um, how how did that feel? How did you handle reactions from people or friends in your life?
2: Well, it was very interesting. Uh, the colleagues of mine at the Chicago Tribune were... Uh in their, rea- in their personal a- reactions to me, they were very kind and understanding. But then I would hear things behind the scenes like, you know, hey, I hear Strobel's got religion. Strobel's gone nuts. You know, Strobel's become a Jesus freak. You know, you'd hear those things whispered <laughs> under people's breath. So, uh, you know, I think there was kind of a mixed reaction from my friends. Of course, they knew me from my days. You know, I lived a very immoral and drunken and narcissistic life. And I'm sure they were skeptical about this change in my values and character and morality. Um, you know, so, and then when the book came out, you know, a, Back then, the rap was that apologetics books didn't sell. Evidence Books on evidence for the faith were not popular. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was shocked that the publisher accepted the book. And uh, initially, it didn't sell very well. Um, it, mm-hmm. it took quite a while for it to kind of ramp up and and gain a foothold of acceptance. But the the most fun part of that has been the stories through the years of people Mm -hmm. whose lives have been changed by the book. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, I think of Evel Knievel, the famous uh, motorcycle daredevil writer who uh, was a drunken, profane, um, (laughs) wild living guy who uh, was on the beach in Florida in later years of his life and heard God speak to him and say, Robert, I've saved you more times than you'll ever know. Now I need you to come to me through my son, Jesus. And he, he didn't know what to do. He felt this on the inside. And so he called the only Christian he knew, Frank Gifford, the, uh, white, the husband of uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, who was a sportscaster, and said, mm-hmm. Frank, I had this experience. Who's Jesus? And Frank said, well, get the case for Christ. And and so Mm -hmm. uh, Evil did and and ended up reading it and had a radical conversion to Christ. One of the most profound conversions I've ever seen. First time he Mm -hmm. ever shared his story at a church, 700 people responded by receiving Jesus as their forgiver and leader right there on the spot and being baptized. Um, He actually had engraved on his tombstone, believe in Jesus. And uh, it was funny because he called me up to thank me for writing the book. And uh, it called me out of the blue and I picked up my phone mm-hmm. and I said, hi. Um, and uh, the voice said, is this Lee Strobel? I said, yeah. He said, well, this is evil. And I thought, oh, my gosh, <laughs> Satan has got a hold of my phone number. Can can Satan do that kind of thing? That's unbelievable. And, no, no, evil can evil. is. Oh, OK. So, <laughs> wow. so we became friends before he died and. Uh, oh, so there've wow. been stories like that of people, skeptics and people, um, from all walks of life who, uh, mm-hmm. God has used the book, uh, in their spiritual journey.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think the, what I've really stressed, at least on this show on, on the podcast, is kind of talking about that journey and talking about yeah. how, you know, it is, a, it is a process. And a lot of times people think they'll become a Christian and then they'll have no more questions about anything. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that, that we do have questions and I don't think it's, it's wrong to question or, you know, in a way I think when we're struggling with our faith, it, it brings you closer to God if you yes. go to him with it. Um. So what do you say to people who are, who are kind of having doubts about their faith, who maybe yeah. had a conversion and then don't, don't know what to do?
2: Well, first of all, expect it. Um, There will come a time when you have questions, you'll have doubts in your faith. I mean, um, one of the key things to remember, it's not a sin to have doubts Mm -hmm. and questions. In fact, my favorite story about that is John the Baptist. If Mm -hmm. anybody should have been totally convinced of the identity of Jesus being the Son of God, it was John the Baptist. He once pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus. He saw the heavens open up. He heard the voice of the Father saying, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist once pointed to Jesus and said, uh, I have seen and I testify, this is the son of God. But then he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. And this is what we find when tough times come, when trouble comes into our life. Sometimes that's when doubts come in. And so John's in prison. Now he's got questions. Now he's not so sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does he do? He gets a couple of friends together. He says, look, track Jesus down and just ask him point blank, clarify, are you the one we've been waiting for? we to wait for somebody else. So they go to track Jesus down. And, and uh, so how does Jesus react to this? Does Jesus say, um, how dare John have the temerity to dare question who I am or raise a question about my identity? No. He says those followers of John, quote, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, go back to John and tell him about the evidence you've seen with your own eyes that convinces you that I am the one I claim to be. Mm. So they go back and they tell John, but has this now disqualified John from any role in the kingdom of God because he dared to express a hesitation or a doubt? No, it's after this incident that Jesus gets up before a group and he says, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. John, Mm. the guy who dared to have a doubt. You know, we need to understand it's okay to have questions. It's okay even to have some doubts as long as we do what John did and we pursue answers. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key. When we hold the doubts in, when we hold the questions in because we're embarrassed or we think it's sinful to express them, um, then they can erode our soul. But Mm -hmm. when we let them out, when we talk about it, when we say, hey, I got a question, I don't know what to do with this issue or whatever then it, it it's kind of like a nightmare. You know, when you're a kid, you have a nightmare and you go into your parents' room and you're sweating and you're scared and you, you have, the, oh, I had this horrible nightmare. And, and they say, well, tell me about it. Oh, well, there was this one-eyed monster and he jumped out at me. And, <laughs> and then you start to laugh because it's like, <laughs> you know, this is mm-hmm. kind of silly. Well, it's the same thing with doubt. If you hold them, hold it in It can erode your soul. But when you talk about it, it loses its control over you. Mm -hmm. And I I would just say do what John the Baptist did investigate it, seek answers, uh, try to distill down your question or hesitation as clearly as you can so you can pursue answers. And what I found out is that there are good answers to the toughest Mm -hmm. questions of life and faith.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, how the book was so popular. And I think that. That's one of the reasons because, Mm. you know, people do have questions and I believe too, yeah, that you can find the answers if you, you know, seek and you will find. Yeah. And it's not always right away. It's not always super clear, but I had uh, Eric Metaxas actually on the first episode for the show and he said something so great as the first interview and he kind (laughs) of almost called me out a little and he said... You know, doubt is not something to be like glorified. You know right. that you're not supposed to stay in doubt. Right. That's not biblical, and that was really kind of where I, I kind of went with the show after that point. Was like, that's true. You know, there are answers that we can find, and I think that yeah. your book and your investigation shows that, and it's even more compelling because you were not, you know, were trying to prove it wrong. Yeah. Um. But well, yeah, even I, I think that's even if great. I
2: after I became a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. um. I had. I remember. I was part of a team at our church when I was a young Christian, and uh, that would respond to questions that people would put on the bulletin uh, and submit. And we had a team that would call them up and and try to answer their questions. And I was on that team, and and I remember getting a card from a twelve year old girl, and um, so I called her up, and she said to me, she said. Uh, well, would you and your wife be willing to come over and um, talk to me and my dad? I live with my dad and he's got some questions and I've got some questions about Jesus. And I said, of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Les and I drive over to their house and, and her dad opens the door and we walk in and I look and on the, uh, on the coffee table in the living room is a stack of heavyweight academic books attacking Christianity. Mm -hmm. And this guy was a scientist who'd spent the previous several years reading books attacking the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And so we sat down at dinner and we talked till one in the morning. And he raised some of the most difficult, troubling questions about the faith that I had heard. It was stuff I'd never really checked out in my journey. And I remember at the end of that saying, sir, you've raised a lot of really profound questions. And 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 I don't know the answers to them, but I, I just don't think you're the first person in 2000 years uh, to pull the rug out from under Christianity. So I mm-hmm. think there might be answers. Let me go try to find them. And so I went out and I'll tell you when he challenged me with those questions, it, I call it, I had a sense of spiritual vertigo. You know, it's kind of that nauseous feeling that, oh, my goodness, maybe I didn't do a good job of investigating this before I jumped in hook, line and sinker. And um, but then guess what? Every single issue he raised, I found a good answer to. Mm -hmm. And what did that do? Well, first of all, it deepened my faith. And it encouraged me that, no, you know what? There are good answers to these tough questions of life and faith. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, it, it, it empowered me to be more willing to continue to engage with people. Because mm-hmm. now if someone raises those questions, I've got a good answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of builds a library of confidence in me that, that um, um, gives me um, willingness to reach out to other people.
1: Yeah, I think that's so true. I think I think when you do find answers, it does give you, like you said, that confidence because it can be a scary thing to yeah. have some doubts and just kind of push them aside and say, "Oh, I don't, I don't want to investigate because I don't, I don't, you know, want to find yeah. such, such and such answer." But but it's it's really it has the opposite effect. Like you said, it just kind of eats away at you. And we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back.
0: Welcome back.
1: So you had written an article recently about doubt. Yeah. And you say in the article that doubt is, many people think doubt's the opposite of faith, but it isn't. Right. And you say the opposite of faith is unbelief. Yeah. Which I think is is great because then one of the questions I was going to ask you is, what do you think is, you know, the antithesis or the opposite of doubt? And I've asked a lot yeah. of people that. And sometimes the answer is faith. But I, I think that this is a really good way to put it, and I haven't really heard it put that way before. Mm. Um, can you explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah, um, Oz Guinness talks about this a bit. Um, that you know, doubt is to be of two minds. In fact, that's the origin of the word, word, really. To be of two minds. So, in other words, you're not in one camp or the other necessarily. You're kind of vacillating back and forth. You're 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 kind of on the fence. You're not sure. Uh, you're uncertain. that's doubt. Disbelief is the opposite of faith. Disbelief is a willing um, rejection of the Christian message. That's disbelief. That's active disbelief. That's the opposite of faith. Doubt is just uh, being in a state of um, I' don't say confusion, but of um, uncertainty where you're uh, you're trying to come down in one camp or the other and hopefully you will. Uh, and so I, I think that's encouraging because it tells me that um, doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, doubt, you know, if uh, if people, you know, David Koresh's followers, if they had doubted his teachings, maybe they wouldn't have died in the um, incident that happened in Waco, Texas, a number of years ago. Uh, You know, it's a good thing that we have skepticism about matters and that we seek truth, um, because sometimes we're pursuing things that are not based on truth and, 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 and morality. Uh, so doubt can provide that kind of caution. Um, and in faith, I think it encourages us to go deeper. I think a tested faith is a stronger faith than a naive faith. Um, mm-hmm. A faith that's never been tested uh, is often a weak faith because maybe the reason it's never been tested is because a person is intentionally avoiding anything that challenges their faith because they're afraid. Maybe it won't stand up. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll find that it's not true. And I think those that confront things head on, and as you said, uh, pursue answers and, uh, and seek the truth. um, Those are the people who emerge uh, whose faith is like refined in fire and it's like pure gold afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a stronger, purer faith when it's tested by doubt. And, and I think Eric is absolutely right. It's not something we pursue, but what what we find is going through that tunnel of faith uh, when we come out the other side uh, into the sunlight, uh, uh, or that tunnel of doubt, and and come out the other side of the sunlight of faith. It, it can be a positive experience in the end. Yeah,
1: I think that's that's. Really true. I I did have a similar where, experience where I went through like a period of doubt and kind of didn't, you know, kind of didn't follow Christ for a little while in uh-huh. college and then definitely felt that way. I mean, once it was, I kind of felt like I had an experience and I felt like, oh, he's definitely real. Then it really was never a question for me again, even yeah. though, of course, there are going to be times when, you know, we come across a terrible time in our life or, you know, a terrible trauma and, yeah. you know, need those answers. But I think that, you know, the truth, it can be found. Yeah. Yeah, I, I
2: agree. I agree. And I think the, the one of the best ways, as I mentioned, to find that truth is when you have doubts, often they're nebulous, you know, and there's a there's this vague sense of unease. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure ju- what I recommend is really. Uh, think it through and distill it down. What is my specific doubt? Is it that I'm not sure I can trust the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, teachings, miracles, and resurrection? Is Mm -hmm. that really the issue Uh, or is it something else? And um, when we can distill it down, then we can better pursue answers. And we need to be aware of the fact that not all doubt is intellectual. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be emotional. Yeah. Um, you know, um, one of the examples uh, in, in my own life, you know, I like to think that my atheism was built on a um, an intellectual base, that I was just too smart for Christianity. Uh, when the truth is, um, there were emotional issues as well. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that Freud commented on is that when people have a father who disappoints them or hurts them or lets them down in some way— often they don't want to pursue a heavenly father. They don't want Mm -hmm. to be hurt again and disappointed again. If you look at the famous atheists of history, Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, voltaire Wells, Feuerbach, O'Hare, all of them, according to Paul Vitz, professor at New York University, um, either had a father who died when they were young, divorced their mother when they were young, or with Mm -hmm. whom they had a very difficult relationship. Mm -hmm. And the implication is, I, I want to, Manufacture doubts about a heavenly father. I don't want to know a heavenly father uh, if he's only going to be a magnified version of my earthly father who's let me down. Yeah. I had a very difficult relationship with my dad. And he yeah. actually told me on the eve of my high school graduation, I don't have enough, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. Yeah. And um, did that father wound in my life, did that uh contribute to me going down the path toward atheism? I think it probably did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was grateful for what C.S. Lewis said because he gave an antidote to this where he said, you know, if you're wrestling with that issue, just stop and imagine what would a perfect father be like? He would be loving. He would be kind. He would be gracious. He'd be your biggest cheerleader. He would be your biggest encourager. That is your heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And, and, and all of a sudden we realize that our, our heavenly father is not just a magnified version of our earthly father. He is fundamentally different. And, um, and that's a father we do want to know. So that helped me get beyond that issue in my life. But often doubt can be, you know, not just intellectual, it can be emotional. It can also be based on sin. You know, Mm -hmm. um, my hobby when I was an atheist was to get drunk. I, I love getting drunk. I, I was a good drunk. I was a very friendly drunk <laughs> and, um, um, I didn't want to give that up. I didn't want to give up my life, uh, mm-hmm. that I was living, even though it was an immoral life. Uh, and did that contribute to me wanting to fend off God by manufacturing doubt? Yeah. I think that was a factor too. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of reasons why people doubt. And, um, yeah. I don't think it's all just based. And I think we have to be sometimes be real honest with ourselves and say, golly, you know, maybe it's not just an intellectual issue. Maybe there's something else going on here.
1: Yeah. And I do think when you get, when you really get to the heart of what your, what those issues are and what those questions are, if you have the answers to the questions and you still have doubts, I think, you know, that can be a tell of maybe there's something else going on. Right. That's maybe not, you know, letting you relieve this um, questioning. But my last question actually has to do with what you're doing now. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about How you've gone into the Christian apologetics field, obviously, but how you've really expanded that recently, kind of teaching young people about this.
2: Yeah, we've started a new center. It's called the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. It's based at Colorado Christian University. Mm -hmm. And um, we're providing, uh, I have a team of 40 PhDs who are creating um, dozens of uh, college accredited all online courses on a variety of subjects involving apologetics and evangelism um, we've already released I think our first 60 courses we've had uh, we've got a whole bunch of students who've already started uh, scores of them that are already taking classes and um, our hope is to train a, a new generation of people to, not just live in an ivory tower and know a bunch of apologetics answers to tough questions, but -hmm. who are actively engaged in the marketplace of ideas Mm -hmm. and uh, who are involved with uh, politics and involved with uh, the community and involved with uh, academia and so forth in a variety of different areas. So we want to see this. uh, That's why we call it applied apologetics. We want people to put it to use. Mm-hmm. And, um, so this that's been our new venture. And uh, it's really been fun to meet some young kids. and I say young kids. i'm I'm old now. so any anybody under sixty is young to me. Um, <laughs> but um, it's young, it's great to meet um, uh, people who are uh, excited about mm-hmm. learning, about science and faith, about mm-hmm. um history and faith, about, how churches can become more effective in reaching people with the gospel in the 21st century. That's my passion. And um, so that's our new uh, adventure. My good buddy and ministry associate, Mark Middleberg, is our executive director. And uh, so if people are interested, they go to strobelcenter.com and uh, that'll link you over to all the information.
1: That's great. I think it's so important, especially just It's kind of the, you know, idea I think a lot of places and, you know, programs are are really stressing the importance of learning about this and learning about Christianity, but also going out into the world. Yeah. The culture is really important. Um, And and I think that's just a great program and I'm sure people are going to be excited about it and do it. A lot of it. I mean, I was looking at the website already and I was like tempted to do it. I'm finishing my
2: master's already. So yeah, we've well, got, um, you know, I think you mentioned Eric Metaxas having been your uh-huh. first guest. He's a great example of someone who's in the marketplace of ideas, has a radio show, he writes books. Um, those are the kind of people we want to produce. Uh, people yeah. are making a difference in culture.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show for, for investigating also, and for writing the case for Christ, because (laughs) it has been impactful for my life. And I, I really, um, I know so many people that, that it has been for them as well. It's just such a relevant, I think it will always be relevant book just to even be able to hand to somebody and say, there are answers to your questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thank you for that as well.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. It's a joy to be with you. And and uh, I want to encourage your listeners to say, you know, what a great mm-hmm. topic for a podcast to to really think seriously about faith issues and, and, and how we wrestle with the doubts that are sure to come uh, to anybody who takes their faith seriously.
1: Well, thank you so much again. Find sure. that as, as well um, online. I believe Relevant Magazine was the article that I quoted to him. In, in the interview, and he talks about doubt. He talks about what our response to doubt should be. He talks about how doubt is not a sin. And so he really goes into these topics again. So I, I would definitely check that out, his article in Relevant Magazine. But I just think that there are so many great things that came up for me during during this interview. Um, the idea that there's not you know one kind of doubt, that there's intellectual doubt, there's emotional doubt, maybe there's spiritual doubt in a way, maybe because you you're living in in sin that you don't want to turn away from. And I have to say I that really resonated with me because when I was experiencing, you know, doubting and kind of not sure if I was wanted to really dive in completely to this Christianity thing. It's impactful for me to remember that. That it, it almost I don't even know if it was all the intellectual questions that I wasn't sure about. I can't, you know, remember completely but I think it was also dealing with sin. It was it was dealing with sin and wanting to kind of not have to follow all the Christian rules. And so I think that's important to remember when we start to have these questions, um there can be other reasons that we might be doubting. And of course, there's always going to be times when we go through a struggle and we go through, you know, a, a time in our life that that's just really difficult and a, a huge trial. And you might feel like you're going through that right now and it's easy to start questioning. God's faithfulness and and the reality of of God and his plan for our lives. God does have a plan and um you know we're meant to follow him and follow his plan because that's the best one for our lives. And um you know doubt is part of that journey. I think it's going to come up again in our lives, but it's um it's something that can actually as Lee said make our faith so much stronger on the other side of it that if we do get these answers, but then also reach out to God and just be honest with Him. Um, I've had times when I've just been struggling and just been like, okay, I'm just going to go read my Bible and and just pray to God. And sometimes I don't even have anything really to say. I'm just like, I know I'm supposed to pray and here I am. <laughs> but that I think that moment after those moments, for me, I always feel closer to God. I always feel like like our relationship is, is tighter because you can't be close to someone that you're not vulnerable with. And so having these doubts and questions and then backing away from God is the wrong response because that is really where that, you know, that doubt can kind of take root. And as Lee said, it can kind of infect your soul in a way. And so I think that that's, that's important to, to notice too, um, that we're supposed to dig into it and we're supposed to bring God into it too. So if you pick up The Case for Christ, if you have not read it, it's on Amazon. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. Like go on your app or whatever right now and order it because even if you're you're not having doubts or questions right now, it's just a really good, good book to read. It's really great to just dive into those questions because they might come up and like Lee said it someone else in your life might have these questions and you might say, okay, I, I remember how this was, you know, explained and how this was investigated. So um but but do it in other places too as well. And um and check out his other books too as I am going to do as well because I definitely want to read those too. But thank you again for joining us on this podcast episode and I hope that you have a great rest of your day.
0: Thanks for listening to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond on the Edify Podcast Network. Tune in next time for another powerful exploration of faith, doubt, and all that's in between. And for more faith-inspiring podcasts, download the Edify Podcast app on the Apple and Google Play stores or at edify.app.